Welcome to the M3 Bear Essentials Podcast. My name is Malcolm Travers. Each Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, I host a live broadcast and invite the editors and contributors of Mail Media Mind to present a topic of their choosing. We discuss social issues, entertainment, mental health, sexuality and relationships, or whatever makes the news or makes us mad. Each live recording is about three hours. But in the M3 Bear Essentials podcast, I cut it down to about 90 minutes. And if you would like to view the full recording or ask questions or comment in the live chat during the podcast recording, you can subscribe to M3 on YouTube and get a notification when we go live. You can find links to the YouTube page and other social media platforms at mailmediamind.com. Now, enjoy the show. And welcome to the M3 Sunday Hangout uh, for August 14, 2016. Mail Media Mind is a grassroots organization dedicated to uplifting and unifying the Black Bear community through dialogue, insight, creativity, and knowledge. And every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, we meet to discuss the topics of the week and to give our unique perspectives on the world. Um, as always, we try to make this entertaining and informative, and your input is a big part of that. So please uh, tweet us at Mail Media Mind, go to the Q&A drop us a line. You can even inbox us. Um, we're always happy to have your topics uh, discussed. Um, I'm Marco Estes, the M3 Entertainment Editor, and Buffy is Life. It's Lonnie. I am a health insurance specialist, also the editor of Lonnie's Life Lessons, and also an M3 contributor. I am Derek A. Jones. There is so much of me that I can't fit it all into 15 seconds or less. So let's just say I'm an expert on everything and move on. I wanted to talk about a call for more, and I know we've talked about this a little bit before in the past. I want to talk about a call for more mental health. But I mostly want to talk about trying to figure out a way to remove the stigma around mental health. Yeah. Because... It just as people, as I talked to someone, a friend of mine last night, and he told me about some stuff that he was going through and a condition that he has that he doesn't share with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, first of all, I felt very honored that he felt comfortable enough to share that with me. So if he is watching, um, thank you very much. That meant a lot to me. Um. And he talked about not necessarily wanting to talk about the situation because people are not necessarily going to understand it. Um, they're going to misunderstand his intentions. And I see that as a problem. You know, when, when we talk about being our brother's keeper, that is part and parcel of it. That comes along with it. That is leaving your mind open to understanding something or at least trying to relate to something that is not necessarily affecting you. Right. But it's a very serious and real thing for someone else. You know, after I spoke to this person yesterday, I took to the Internet. I took I, I started reading up on you know what we had been talking about 
because I yeah. wanted to understand. I did not want to, you know, attempt to judge him, you know, or anything. I just I wanted to understand what he was going through. And yeah, you know, no, I think that's, if, he, yeah. if he ever feels comfortable enough, I just want to say again, if he is watching, because he did tell, tell me that he does watch us, if he ever feels comfortable enough to decide to come on here and talk about it, dude, I got your back. And yeah. any motherfucker that come your way with some bullshit, I got no problem taking them out to the woodshed. One of the things that you were saying that uh, resonated with me was the idea that you did, you know, see that this was something that you were not familiar with and you went and looked it up. So I would say that's part of the fear of talking to someone about it is that they won't understand. And part of the reason they don't understand is because they're not always willing to go with them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, realize, like, this is an area of knowledge that I'm not proficient in. You know, <laughs> like, maybe I should go read something about it first before I form an opinion, you know. Uh, whereas other people... Or, open, or just open my fucking mouth. Right, right. But, yeah, and I, I think, like, some people don't value informed opinions, you know. And so maybe you shouldn't talk to them. <laughs> you know, like, I think there are certain people who, you know, you really shouldn't talk to. About but here's the like but here's the flip side. Yeah, I one of the reasons why I would like him to come on and talk about it is because I can only imagine the other people that are sitting out there maybe suffering from the same condition. Yeah, that don't have anybody to talk to about that condition. You know, I was, I don't know if fortunate is the right word. Um, I have a friend who, who had been diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer. And he dealt with it. Um, he's doing fine now. Um, and maybe a year later, I had another friend who told me he had been diagnosed with the same thing and he yeah. wasn't taking it well. And I kept trying to talk to him and I realized he wasn't ready to deal with it yet. And it took about three months before we actually sat down and could have a conversation about it. And I said, look, um, I think you need to talk to somebody. And he kept telling me, you don't understand, Derek, there's nobody I can talk to. There's nobody I can talk to. And I said, well, actually, I do know somebody that you can talk to. No, because he's not in the same boat that I'm in. You know, I need to talk because this is because of the way this affects my life. I need to talk to another black gay man. And I there's you know, there's no groups out there for that. And think. I said, you're right. There aren't any groups out there for that. I said, but I have a friend who went through this a year ago who is a black gay man. Right. And, the, and, and my other friend, he just kind of stopped talking, and I put them in touch with each other. And I think it was therapeutic for both of them um, yeah. just to, you know, have somebody else there. Right. I was happy to be able to do I was sorry both of them went through that. I'm happy both of them came out on the other end of it very well. And I'm glad that there was a connection made where they didn't have to go through it alone. Yeah. Well, definitely, I could see that. Um... It's something that we've often talked about, if not with, you know, mental health issues, but with just any issue where 
you're feeling isolated or different because yeah. you maybe because of it you're isolating yourself and bringing it out and talking about it publicly is definitely um, something that I can get down with. So, so what do you think the stigma comes from? Because um, one person I was talking to said it was, uh, you know, they related it to like religious uh, upbringing, well, traditional. I, I always go to religious upbringing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you believe it's a demon, then maybe go to the psychiatrist. Well, not necessarily a demon. Um, I know someone who had an amputation at a very young age. Mm. And the person, like 13, 14, and they were not allowed to mourn their loss. Mm. They were allowed to pray um, and they were given a lot of this is you can't be sad because God has a plan. This is God's plan. <laughs> um, exactly. So they're <laughs> entering their teenage years. Their body is already changing, and they have lost literally a piece of themselves. Um, and they aren't really allowed to feel sad about that. Right. So yeah, I. Nine out of ten times in situations like this, I always point to religion first yeah. as as the bad guy. But also, like, struggle itself. Um, this is something I got from some people that I, I've dealt with, I guess. Who, anyone who's been through, like, a bad depression. Um, I mean, like, recession depression, not a person depression. But, you know, people who have gone through the struggle, you know, when someone else has problems, there's just less likely to feel any sort of sympathy for them. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's just like, I have been, you know, put in jail and beat by the police and um, had, you know, all these horrible things happen to me and my friends and family. You're talking about you, you're depressed over some bullshit? Like, really? I'm supposed to feel sorry for you because of this? I think that was one of those things I got from people who've been through struggles have a lack of empathy for these now first world problems that you're dealing with. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, I think that's a huge part of it in the black community. Just saying. Because they've been through some shit and they're not looking at your what you're going through as having, you know, like I've been through ten times. What you look at what you've gone through is not ten times as bad as what I've been through. Exactly. But it's still um, bad. It is. <laughs> it's taking people's lives, but it is like a matter of perspective, you know, like where you're coming from. And sometimes I think the person who's dealing with that themselves may not want to reach out to that person who's not going to give you empathy in return. It's like, no matter what I say to you, no matter what it is, you're not going to respect my struggle because yours was so bad and so much worse than mine, at least from your perspective, that you're never going to respect anything I have to say about it. And sometimes you have to just sit with that and be okay with it and go to someone who will yeah. give you that, that basic respect because you're not going to get it from everybody. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Some people have just been so damaged <laughs> that they cannot look at someone else's damage with any kind of empathy. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, Jeff. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Maybe you can help us out with this because we were actually uh, talking about some of the, the sources of why people in the black community have trouble seeking psychiatric help. 
Okay. Yeah, and so I was just saying that I think it has to do with this sort of maybe really basic part of the struggle causing people to not look at other people's problems with any sort of, you well, know, it's the perspective you're coming from sometimes. Well, yeah, I, I kind of caught the end part of what you were saying as it relates, and yeah. I think you used a key word there, which is to empathize. Um, as I was telling a friend yesterday, we were talking about something similar, and one of the things, like I told them that, like, the groups like Black Lives Matter and all these young people that are now kind of, for the first time, experiencing things that, for some of us, that are a little older, like I tell people, like I've experienced discrimination in a very real way. Um, it was something that I felt. So even though I wasn't a part of the civil rights movement, I could empathize with that because I knew what it felt like to be looked upon as a nigger or to be looked upon wrongly as a black man or even a gay black man. And then you add so many things on top of that. And now you have this generation that honestly has no connection with that. Like, they kind of grew up and they kind of already had what they thought were equal rights. And now they're seeing for the first time that they don't. And in the community itself, like when we were all, you know, marching and we shall overcome and all that stuff, we were all kind of commonly connected because we were all looked at as well. We were all looked at as Negroes and niggas and whatever they chose to call us. Now that's right. not the case because there's some of us that, you know, got $5 more than this one and some of us that, may be a little bit more successful because now we have access to education. Now all of us yeah. are not always segregated to living in one part of the cities that we live in or whatever. So the lack of unity has created a lack of empathy. And, you know, it is at the end of the day, if it's not my issue, it becomes something that for a lot of people that, yeah, it's like, well, you know, I can relate to her if, if you know, she was going through this with her baby daddy, but she ain't got no baby daddy. So I ain't worried about that. That's not my issue. You know, yeah. I, you know, so we can't you can't see just the basic humanity and who we all are. Yeah. And and that's where the issue for me then lies, because, you know, when you go out and you try to be a part of the community and try to do building and unification, that's the first thing that people always hear where they're not like me. They're different, whether it, and it's not always just skin color. I mean, even yeah. our, our own community as, as gay black men, like you said, you know, we have. You know, the twinks, we have the bears, we have the thises, we have the that. There's always something in regardless of what the community is to try to put up something that becomes divisive. Yeah. And anytime that you can go in and find something that ultimately divides a community, a community, a community divided is a community defeated. So whether it's yeah. mankind as a whole or whether it's the black community as a whole or whether whatever, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. yeah that the lack of being oh, well, able to empathize with one another was is going to be our downfall, period. So let's say there is someone maybe going through a mental health issue or suspected of that, mm -hmm. and they're not taking it seriously. Like maybe someone in their life close to them is not taking it seriously. What, what sort of approach do you take, or if you had to be in that sort of situation, um, where they're looking at it from like, I just need to fight and get through this kind of, point of view versus they you are suffering from a medical problem that you can go to a professional about. Well first, you, knows, yeah, first you have to first you have to get the diagnosis. Right. Because how many how many of our brothers and sisters are walking these streets with actual issues, um, actual medical issues that have no idea. Um, right that they're suffering through this. You know, I, 
is I'll use him as an example again not a medical professional at all and don't know the man personally <laughs> but is Bobby Brown bipolar he's talked about it before you know from what I know of bi- of, of bipolarism there's every possibility of it you know and his long term drug use could be a form of self medication Right, you know, it's again. Don't know for sure. Don't be going out there. Derek said, "Bobby Brown's not polar." That's not what I said. <laughs> but these are the things that you get a number of people who learn how to self-medicate because they're having these issues. Again, because we will not see professionals again because we are told and this is a community thing we are told oh no you just need to pray over it you just need to go talk to Jesus you know Jesus doesn't have an RX pad Jesus can't write you a prescription <laughs> well no I think Derek is you absolutely absolutely correct I mean because one of the things that has been found is that I mean you know being someone that stepped against the grain as it related to my family being a family that even growing up in a city like Atlanta but has very traditional southern values you know when I got to an age when I realized something was wrong and I said like you know that you know whatever is said in the house stays in the house you know we're not going to talk about certain things you know we've seen it depicted in a lot of films that have talked about the black experience like the color purple and things like that where there were things that were just going on in our communities that we just didn't talk about. And at the end of the day, we have a lot of people, like you said, it's a health condition. It might be mental health, it could be physical health, but we have very, very bad records, number one, of even physically taking very, very good health care of ourselves right. health-wise. That That's why true. equal access to health care was very important. People did not understand the great equalizer that that became. Because yes. it then added access. But then yes. once we got access, then you didn't have to go through a whole other level of education. Because now that I have insurance, does that mean I'm going to start going to the doctor if I'm a 65-year-old man who, like you said, my, my wife just always said, we're going to go to the preacher and he's going to lay hands on me or he's going to do this, this, or this. And even like people in my brother's generation, my brother, um, like things like addiction can be genetic. There are a lot of mental illnesses and physical Ill- I mean, and, and, and regular illnesses that have genetic roots. But we don't look at like obesity and other things like that. You know, oh, well, you know, people in my family have just always been big. You know, we go through things like that. But my brother comes from a family that has a a genetic history of addiction. And I had to talk to my brother and sit him down. And my brother is a self-medicator. My brother loves his liquor and he loves his weed. And I've had uh, many a times they have to go at him and say, look. What it is, because literally one day we were talking and he called me and he was like, I literally, I drunk as much as I could. I smoked as much as I could. I still can't sleep. Like he literally was going out of his mind. And I literally was like at that moment, I took that moment and said, you need to go get some help because that self-medicated is not working anymore. But, yeah, we are taught, like like you said, I mean, we can look at it, we can see it. And it's like you said, it is something that needs to be treated. Um, and diagnosed by a professional, but there are certain things that you begin to look at. And if you see things that, like, I mean, like they said, you know, uh, almost 60% of the homeless population is homeless because they have mental health issues. Yep. Um, yeah. Same thing with homeless veterans. You know, I mean, there's so many undiagnosed situations of medical issues just in general, you know, uh, yeah. minorities and, and any 
in any type of minority, whether it be, you know, Hispanic, African-American or whatever, are disproportionately affected by health disparities, asthma, cancer, HIV. I mean, we can go on and on and on. So absolutely. Um, until we get out of the mindset of, like I tell people, spirituality has a place in everything. But until we stop using spirituality as a means to be blind to things that make common sense and decent sense. And we wondering, like we always say, well, why is it that, you know, our quote unquote other counterparts are better off than we are? Because they've learned this. Yeah. Something is you go, you stomp your toe, you go to the doctor. What are we going to say? Oh, no, child, just. You know, whatever, whatever. And also, you know, we are taught things like, you know, as men, you don't cry, you don't show emotion. So all that stuff boils up and it becomes something that ends up becoming a festering sore inside of us. And then, yeah, we are more apt to look at things like, you know, um, being bipolar, schizophrenia, which is also something that is genetic. A lot of it goes untreated. And a lot of us, you know, we go through and we go through these self-destructive behaviors and we do these things and it just kind of continues and becomes these vicious cycles that, you know, it it goes untreated and we don't deal with it. And yes, we need to get better about educating and supporting one another when we make the decision to say, okay, something is wrong. I think I need to go see somebody or I need to do something about it and talk to them about the benefits. Yes. Engage in your spirituality, whatever spiritually keeps you centered. That's important. But there's also yeah. somebody out there that might be able to offer something additional into that that might also right. be able to help you in a completely different way. Because, you know, yeah. I mean, like I tell people, God created everybody, so he must have created doctors for something. The idea that I know uh, at least some people in, in my family and friends um, don't have that much respect for the medical community in general. Like, it seems like whenever a diagnosis is given, like even on, say, a physical remedy mm-hmm. or something like that, the skepticism level is like you need to prove it to me versus, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> if they're given a medication, they're trying to find a reason not to take it. You know. Well, and so things I, traditionally, like you say that, and I think, you, and I meant to say that. I'm glad you brought that up. But traditionally, because of some of our experiences with healthcare professionals, because was working in a research environment, the first thing a black person will throw up is Tuskegee. They will holler yeah. Tuskegee mm-hmm. till the cows come home, <laughs> and because of that one. I mean, and there were several others because then they just didn't happen to people of color. Like they found out like over in the Bay Area, they played a pesticide over the San Francisco Bay Area to see if there was a possibility of a, a weapon of mass destruction being basically used as an aerosol. And yep. they said it was harmless. And then all these like a couple of people, like it was a couple of hundred people, they got sick and even a few that died. And they finally unclassified the information a couple of years ago. So, yeah. This, you know, yeah. that's why we work in that's research. That's actually reasonable. Yeah. Right. So when you work in research, you have to then go through all of these kind of clinical ethics things. And now just going back into Emory and going back into research, it's like I it made me truly remember. And I understand. And that's why whenever, because as a community educator, I have to go out and I have to have these conversations with people. And I'm completely open and honest because some people will say, well, no, we're not going to talk about Tuskegee. We're not going to talk about this. My whole thing is we're going to put it all on the table. We're going to get it out there. We're going to be real and completely transparent about it because, yes, there are unethical researchers. I mean, even the Nazis and some of the things that they did, there was some unethical research that happened that was done on the Jewish people that they had in those concentration camps. Yes, it was. So, I mean, it's nothing that's exclusively exclusive to us as a people of color. But for us, we hold on to things and and a little bit different because racism is institutionalized in this country in a whole different way 
than it is, say, overseas. You know, they look at yeah. ethnicity sometimes, whereas we look at race. Those are two different things. But, yeah, right. there is a general mistrust of the medical establishment just as a whole. Yeah. And Jeffrey, I'm glad you um, I'm glad you brought that up, the um, that whole memory thing, because a number I've been doing a lot of research um, and a number of things that we as black people as a community in America have a lot of our traditions come stem from slave time. Mm-hmm. And it's not always stuff that we necessarily needed to hold on to. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. But because so much time has passed, and, and I say this all the time, because we treat slavery like a rape victim treats rape, we don't talk about it. We don't, you know, we, we don't want to deal with it. We just want to move on. So many things have been lost. Um, that whole thing about that you said earlier about, you know, something in the family is happening and we've learned to keep it in the family. We keep it at home. Um, That comes from not wanting to at any point stand out. Giving the slave master, giving the slave owner any reason Mm -hmm. to separate your family, to send somebody away, to sell somebody off. So we got to keep this quiet. So that you we can't can be looked together. at as damaged goods. You can't be looked at as damaged goods. You can't. You cannot call attention to yourself in such a way that it will impact you negatively. Yeah. And again, uh, unfortunately, we just we've held on to a lot of that shit. You know, two, three hundred years later. Well, and I think though the thing is, and I mean, um, one thing like I was saying earlier with the generations, like, like they talk about the millennials and these younger generations. Like, if you look at like when the Civil Rights Act and all that stuff was passed, I mean, that was like with back when King was assassinated, 1968. Um, I was born seven years later, so I'm 40 years old, and that's not considered old. So this stuff is not something that has really been like generations and generations. Like we've not been like five, six, ten generations outside of slavery. No. Right, so right. it is no, my great, still my very, very, grandmother, very, very fresh. My great-grandmother right. was sold. My great-grandmother that I grew up in the house with Right. My, was my great sold when was she was at a way. very young age from her parents who were slaves. Exactly. So that's still stuff that's very fresh to us as a people. And it's like that's why it can't be discounted because this ain't something that just happened. Like you said, people say get over it. This just didn't happen a couple of years ago or, you know, like you said, two, three hundred years ago, whereas some groups have been able to move beyond it. This is still very fresh. Yes. And yeah. for and a we're lot still of us, dealing, And we're still dealing with the consequences of it. Yeah. And we are one of we are um, the only people primarily. I mean, there were some other smaller groups, but that were brought to this country against our will, literally taken from our home, brought to this country, forced to assimilate, go through all that, like culturally, our culture was decimated. So that takes some healing and that's not something that just happens in 20, 30, 40, even 50 or even 100 years. I mean, people are still trying to figure out who they are and what they need to be black. We're talking about people self-medicating and going through depression and so on and so forth. Could this also be the cause back when, back in slavery, when it was given um, slaves cocaine to make them um, pick cotton and also to reproduce? And could this, could that be the effect of that um, drug use? 
Um, I think from what I read, I would say Xavier is found out a little bit more, but I know from what I read, like um, a lot of things, like we said, because genetically, it's, it's like I was telling somebody earlier, like blacks have a tendency to be more lactose intolerant than any other group racially. It's yeah. because cows were not prevalent in Africa, so we were not necessarily used to quote unquote cow milk. So now that we ingest large numbers of it, and now that it's treated with all these different vitamins and things, it does different things to our body than it does to other people's bodies. So absolutely, if it was something, whereas heroin and things like that were like in old time London and things like that, it was used more often and more prevalent by others. Their bodies developed a, ter- a, type, a certain type of tolerance to it. Whereas we, if we was just giving it to us in our system, it did change some of our genetics and our makeup. And yeah, it could then historically have been passed down through some genetic means. Um, different people believe different things, but I mean, Xavier, what's your mindset on that? Oh, uh, yeah, I got a lot going on there. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said, let me get somebody else. Uh, <laughs> who knew what can of worms I was opening? Right. Uh, so I'm gonna work backwards. So that's okay. my honest question. So like, cocaine is a stimulant. So the use of cocaine and any drug like that is it pushes you past your pain and physical shutdown thresholds. So if you say giving it, and I don't think they were giving them cocaine, I think they were giving them a derivative that would have came from the coke plant. But um, what they would allow you to do is, A, you would basically work yourself beyond exhaustion. You wouldn't notice the heat. You wouldn't notice the fact that you haven't eaten. You would notice that your fingers are bleeding from all that is cotton picking, so you just keep working. And so it made them more productive as a result of it because they didn't notice how they felt. Also, cocaine and anything that's like it lowers your inhibitions. So when they were doing things like uh, putting bags over slaves' heads and having them uh, have sex with, you know, brothers with mothers or, I mean, sons with mothers or, brothers to sisters or whatever, because they particularly like a, a, a particular traits about these two, um, sort of like we do with line breeding with animals, um, that made them more docile, more open to suggestion, and lowered their inhibitions so that they weren't as resistant to doing these, these things. Um, and so that would be where, you know, they would get kind of stuff like that from. Now, when you start talking about certain specific things like certain types of diagnoses, like specifically like schizophrenia and other delusional disorders, people with those disorders oftentimes don't believe they have them. Um, it's sort of one of the things that goes along with those disorders is the lack of insight. Um, in the black community particularly, you have individual lack of insight, and then you have community-based level lack of insight, where in our community, most of us, uh, as you all already said, we don't believe in things like that. You know, stuff like that is a spirit, stuff like that is against God. And so we believe that we can pray it away, take it to the church, something to that atone, and to deal with the mitigated. And for those that don't believe in that, then nobody wants to go into a doctor's office uh, and be told that you're not in your right mind. You know, black people in general just don't want to hear that. Um, not to say that whites do, but at least if a, if a white person hears it, they're a lot more apt to want to deal with it. A lot of these issues started off when we were children. These are things that were going on with us when we were children. And the parent, instead of getting some type of help to dealing with their child or 
seeking somebody to say, what's well, my alternative to deal with their behavior? They dealt with it through corporate punishment, and they just assumed that it was all behavior-based and not the fact that this child has some low-grade mental health disorder going on. So now they're adults, and that something that might have been dealt with a little better when they were earlier and younger has now turned into a full-blown mental, severe mental illness, and it becomes a major problem. A lot of Black people also are not very well connected into the community as far as resources and understanding what's out there and what community-based supports are there and, and who to go get help from and how to do it. You know, um, we don't do too well with dealing with our thoughts and our feelings. You know, uh, we attribute a lot of things to where, you know, my dad was like that or, you know, it's the drinking, it's this, this, and this, and it's okay that I do this because other men in my family did it or somebody did it in my family. And at the end of the day, it's not. You know, it's a sign of weakness in black men to admit that we feel bad, that we're sad or that we just constantly are miserable and we can't explain why, you know, and dealing with those things. You know, you see a woman and then there's a lot of judging thing that goes on. You see a woman that's got 10 kids and each one of them got a different baby daddy. You automatically assume she's a whore, she's this, this, and this. When you never stop to take into account, she may have issues with herself. She may have body dysmorphic issues or she may have daddy issues. And she seeks other men to fill those spaces where if somebody had to talk to her and talk to her and taught her the value of her body, and the fact that she's got to love herself first and stop thinking that the only way she can express love is through giving her body up, then that might have stopped it. And so the black community as a whole, uh, yeah, we do need to sit down and have a conversation. And yeah, the ministers and the pastors all need to be there. And I'm saying this from a perspective of somebody who grew up in the church, who went to Derek, uh, who went to... <laughs> private Christian-based organization for education. So I, just, so I have a very strong faith-based connection, but I do understand that there is a significant need for secular assistance in our community, you know, for a secular mental health, substance abuse counseling, physical health, all of these things that just need to take place. That, you know, I think it's great. Um, I think it's great that a lot of ministers nowadays do marriage counseling, but I don't think, and this is just me from my perspective of dealing with it, I don't feel like marriage counseling should stop at the ministries. Um, there should be a licensed professional somewhere in there, right. not just somebody who has read the Bible a couple of times and decided they know what the fuck they're talking about. Exactly. Not that, <laughs> my, not that my bias is showing or anything. Well, a couple of them, though, have gone to school because I know a lot of schools offer pastoral counseling degrees now and a lot of them feel like because they have those pastoral uh, counseling degrees which I'm not saying that there's anything invalid about those because like um, any type of disease now that you deal with especially in cancer treatment it is holistic in a way that it deals with both you know they're dealing with your your health of your body they're dealing with your spiritual health they're dealing with that and in those environments they use those type of people that have been trained like that but there are some things that for some of them, they are going to stick to doctoring as they believe it according to their faith. And they are not going to go into some of the things that somebody that has been trained specifically in the mental health arena that is going to deal with. 
and there's a yeah. reason for that. And, and let me just say this, and I hate to put this out there like that, but it's the truth. I do have a problem with those pastoral degrees because they're not, usually they're not licensed and accredited by nobody. Okay, so that's what you have to go through to become what I am. You have to go through a whole board of professional people who've been doing mm-hmm. this for years. There are laws that govern it, legislation that puts certain things in place. So that there is a reason why I'm a professional and why this person over here is not. So because and one of the things that we all as professionals have taught, first thing we taught ethics is you have to protect the you have to protect the discipline. Because there's some lot of quack job ass people out there who are fucking it up. And then you come in contact with that person as a uh, person seeking help, things don't work out, things don't go well, and then you take that as the explanation. You are turned off from that whole Exactly. That whole, yeah. Well, we went to class to get counseling. It didn't work. We still ended up getting divorced. We still have marriage problems. We still have domestic violence issues. So counseling don't work. So now I don't care what's behind your name, what letters are out behind your name, counseling just don't work. Right. That's because we have spent so much time going to the wrong people and allowing the wrong people to do these things because there's nothing that governs these people who have these pastoral counseling degrees. And my school offered it, but you couldn't get a license in it. So it was like, what was the point? Whatever. I mean, that, that's where my issue comes in. And I'm not saying that all licensed people are that great because they're not. I've met some that are licensed and still are not that great to me. And that's why you might need, you need to do your homework before you go to somebody. You need to know yes. who you're dealing with. But that's with anything. You know, yeah. all attorneys ain't great. That's why you do your homework. All and doctors ain't great. You, <laughs> and the ones that tell you, well, you know, my services come at a fee. And it's a steep feat. There's a, probably a reason behind it. Yeah, well, there's a Q&A. Brian Lawson says, also there's happy pill stigma, which is that attitude of needing pills to make someone function looks weak, which might keep people from seeking treatment. Yeah. And I'll say that with my little sister, my, my sister who's going through there with my niece, she's scared that people want to put my niece on um, Ritalin. And I told her, she doesn't need Ritalin, she just needs to be around people. But that's just... That's something totally different. I ain't just that now, but yeah, yeah. Well, um, and I just for the that. record, just uh, for the record, for some people on here, <laughs> I too grew up in the church. Um, no, <laughs> stop lying, Danny. I was an acolyte. I was in the handbell choir. I participated in the youth ministry and the youth choir. So, yeah. That's a shame because I sure can't tell. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I got pictures to prove it. I got receipts as far as that. All right. No, and I'm gonna say, and I'm gonna say this real quick. There was uh, the, the the head of the youth ministry when I was growing up, uh, Randy Evans. It was a very sweet, very kind man, and. Um, you know, my father wasn't around. And every year my church had this, because our church owned a campsite in Michigan. And every year they would have two retreats, the men's retreat, the women's retreat. And because I did grow up in the church, I was third generation of that church, actually, well, second generation. Um, it was encouraged that I go, even though I did not have a man, male figure to go with me. They encouraged kids like me to go because there were plenty of men from the church going. And that was there was a year that Randy and I 
just truly bonded. I think he saw the homosexuality in me that would be coming out at some point. And so he made it a point of kind of being there for me. Um, and we were, we were as close as we could be for the relationship that we had. And then he got murdered. And it, 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 it really hurt me. And it was years before I found out the whole entire story. Because the story that I was told, the story that, uh, that went around, was that someone broke into his house and they robbed him and they beat him to death with a hammer. And what I found out later was that Randy was gay. I had no idea. Um, and, you know, he had taken the wrong trade home. Trade home. <laughs> because this was, the, this was the way he had to live his life because he had this job. And, yeah. you know, then the trade, you, you know, beat him to death and, and took his money and they had to have a closed casket and everything. And I just always wondered if my church, if this place where they kept telling us to be who we were, you know, it's preaching all this love and acceptance is everything, if he had actually been allowed to be who he was, would he have been in that position of taking right. bad trade home? Right. You know. Well, I mean, the thing about it is, I, I see what you're saying, but I mean, like, right now, it's 2016, mm -hmm. and marriage equality is the law of the land. And there's still plenty of people that do the same thing. That's very true. Well, and I would say that, I though. Mean, I, you know, there, there are plenty of people that just, they're, the society they raised, that they grew up in, and their family is not going to except if they can accept anybody but you know they know that some people are going to reject them and they rather not go through that based on their family their friends their job mm -hmm. and they're still doing the same thing right now even though we obviously can live the life that you want to live without having to be embarrassed about it so but at least now you have the option in yeah, you do have the option now you in the, the 80s option. he didn't have that option i know yeah i know well but i think what i think what we need to realize too is Marriage equality, because it was put into act and law, didn't equalize everything. Just like when we got civil rights, it didn't equalize it. Well, no, no, no. I'm just and, saying. And, and, I know, and I agree with you saying, and I understand yeah. where you're coming from. Yeah, but like you said, the story that you just told, Derek, I've heard growing up. I know pastors. Mm -hmm. I know people that were in church in positions that were considered of authority. That I mean, I, I knew somebody that literally, like you said, same scenario, but um, they found him in his house, basically. I mean, not to be graphic, but his penis cut off and in his mouth. And this is somebody who was in a very prominent church here in Atlanta, um, who was a friend of a friend who had dated someone who I'd known since I was almost 17 years old. But he, he had never been able to be freely who he is. But like, you know, and I think the point that Gerald's making is for some people when it comes to behavior, I mean, it's a it's the thrill and the drive and that's part of it for them. So they're always going to take certain risks. But for some people, there is an acceptance thing because even though I know people now that say even as gay black men, okay, yeah, I can legally get married now. That doesn't mean that I'm going to go and get married because I don't want to have to have that conversation with my mama and tell her I'm going to have to marry a man. Because at that point, even if she okay with me being gay, I mean, I went through that. My family had known I was out since I was 15. When I got married at 35, you would have thought I had came out all over again. 
You know, <laughs> wait a minute, you're going to marry a man? That's one thing, you know, for you to be gay and whatever. But now you're talking about marriage. That's, you know, you're infringing on a whole other area. So I it kind of does I mean, become your level day, of like, comfort. Exactly. It's, it's, it's crazy, Jeff. I mean, like, I agree with you 100%. Everything that you're saying is, um, but we're, like I said, we're still living in times where we're, where people, I mean, no matter what, no matter what, there's still a majority of cultures and religions that still teach that gay is a sin and mm-hmm. there's something wrong with it. And it's yeah. pretty much probably going to always be that way. Exactly. No matter, you know, so it's yeah. just something that we can have to contend with no matter where you live in the world, no matter, you know, even though we're pretty progressive as far as countries go. Not that very. Is, I mean, just that, that, no, that is true. And the point of my story was that was the thing that started me down my path mm-hmm. of walking away from those institutions, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. which is why it sounds like I didn't grow up in the church. And again, <laughs> the truth of the matter is, daycare, kindergarten, yeah, all of that was no, done. It's, church, it's obvious that church, you grew up in church. Church, church, of, church of the Good Shepherd. It's not, and it's okay because I am no, I mean, real not, disrespectful you, about religion sometimes. No, but I, I mean, but your you, your values show there that you're a good yeah. person and you care and you're loving. Those are the things that that come across. I'll, and probably what you got from church more so than, um, like how. I was, I don't know. No, I was also gonna say it. It's it sometimes feels like you're giving a sermon most Sundays. I'm just saying. Like, you <laughs> <laughs> said, let me get up on my, my pulpit and let me let me talk to the people here. But I, mean, I I I can see that you've been inside of church. It's like, and that was no question. Um, well, thank you. But no. <laughs> but no, um, I do want to talk. <laughs> okay, well, somebody posted. Well, somebody brought. Well, I'm not gonna say who was it. Somebody posted an article in Undercover, and the article was met with a lot what of. What was the like, article about? Okay, the article was about how you cannot be black. You can't. You can't be pro-black and be anti-gay. You can't be homophobic and be pro-black because. Okay. The civil rights movement was carried by a lot of black gay people, and on top of that, women, whether they were black, whether they were gay or straight, they carried the black civil rights movement, and they were just saying you can't be about one particular angle of the black community and just sit there and just disregard everybody else. Sure you can. <laughs> well, and so... Uh, the article used a picture of the prancing elites. <laughs> and so somebody started the comment section off saying, like, well, this is the picture they used, and this article has no substance in it. Without reading it, because it's the prancing elites. And somebody came in with, like, well, I'm a black gay man, and I'll, we don't have to always accept or and support, you know, everything in the gay community. And it was a back and forth, a back and forth, and then I was like, but you you can't be we're not saying that you can't like for instance if you don't do drag if you're a black gay man and you don't do drag queens you don't do pride you don't do uh you know any avenue of the black gay community or just the gay community in general that doesn't mean that you have to like i mean you 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 don't have to like it not saying that you're supposed to support it though but you at the end of the you said what you just accept it. Just accept it. It's a part of it's a spectrum. It's a broad spectrum. We are a broad spectrum community. 
you know, and just because something might not be your thing doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, like, you know, say that that's, that represents me. It's the same thing with being black. It's a broad spectrum of being black. Just because one person defines black as one thing doesn't mean that you have to go by that standard to somebody else's definition of what being black is. So I was saying that, you know, you know, we have the drag the um Stonewall Rise. It was drag queens who started the Stonewall Rise. They're the ones who have literally killed them, have literally died. Right. To, so we can sit here and, you know, say, you know, I wanna marry uh, Lamar over here. You know what I'm saying? And I can't marry Lamar. They've marched and stood and did more protesting and, you know, rallying than we've ever done. So you have to respect them. And the article yeah. that we're talking about is not talking about respecting the feminine qualities of the black gay community. We're just saying that in general, if you if you if a, a feminine man walks out of a gay club and you walk out of a gay club too, both of y'all are gonna get hit with a bad by a hate a hate about a, a, a bigot. They're not gonna right. sit there and say, Oh, he's more gay than you, he's gonna whoop your ass too. It so, depends on how much of the person looks. It depends. That is, that is, that is correct. <laughs> but, at the same time, but at the same time, y'all both come out the club. You know, they're going to still beat your ass. Because, you know, you're yeah. still a fag in both your eyes. No matter how gay you look, it's just the fact that, oh, you was up in there, you support this shit, I'm whooping your ass too. You know, so if they feel like they can, they can do that, it's just... Mark, how... Not you, not you, Mark. I'm sorry, my roommate's name is Mark, and so he thought I was talking to him. Um, <laughs> which always makes for very interesting conversations. Anyway, Mark, <laughs> let me state before I say anything else, I agree with everything that just came out your face. <laughs> now let me tell you why you're wrong. No, 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 okay. Okay, so, but this is the first thing I want to uh, touch on. How tall are you? I'm 5'8". Five, 5'8". Five, I'm 6'5". If I come out of gay club and you come out of gay club and there's a motherfucker out there with a bat that's going to be gay bashing, who do you think he's going to bash? <laughs> I could be wearing a fucking dress. Which one of us do you think he's going for? The easy one. Right. They might they might try you. You know, some they folks are might just... try me. I've never okay. been gay bashed before in my life. I have walked through many a neighborhood by myself. Yeah. Where there have been gay bashing in Chicago. That's just not a reality that I necessarily live with. Again, it comes with being a giant. But mm. That's only a small part of my of my point. Yeah. Um, again, everything you said is absolutely true. Here's here's why those people are disrespected. They're disrespected when, as soon as they aren't talked about. They're disrespected as soon as they aren't part of the history. You know, I know, pretty much everybody on this panel knows that the civil rights movement had a whole lot of black LGBT people in it. But that's something you had to learn for yourself. That's nothing you ever learned when the civil rights movement was talked about in school. You heard about Rosa Parks. You heard about Martin Luther King. And that was it. 
you know, you didn't hear about any of these other people that helped out in this situation. People exactly. who were LGBT. As an adult, exactly. you didn't necessarily hear about it until you needed to go do your own research about it. You still don't hear about it. Exactly. You still, yes, I mean, they still aren't brought to the forefront. You're absolutely right. You still don't hear about it, you know. Jesse, Jackson, Jesse Jackson runs around. Jesse Jackson got that motherfucking shirt with, with Martin Luther King's blood on it framed somewhere. And he points to it every time he wants people to take him seriously. I was on the balcony when King got shot. See, I have the shirt to prove it. I got received. <laughs> <laughs> But that's a pretty never, good receipt, though. <laughs> it, well, it is, though. Some people think that he went and splattered the blood on himself because, yeah. you know, he I is. I did read this somewhere. But receipt is only valid for so long. I'm well, sorry. I just want to yeah, say man. something real quick, and I'm going to have to log out. But um, the only thing I really wanted to say is that it, it, it's amazing to me that in our community, like, I had to learn how to accept every part of the gay community. That means from people saying girlfriend to girl this or drag queens, whatever. You have to learn to accept those things. And if you don't learn to accept those things, then I don't really think that you can be as productive in the community as you should be. So people that are uh, self-hating, um, but like saying that, you know, why this or why that? Dude, you need to accept every part of the gay experience as well as your heritage. Yeah, That's all. It 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 really it really wasn't that hard for you to accept being called girl online. <laughs> Lonnie, I wanna Lonnie, I wanna say this before you log on. <laughs> I understand that. There's a whole lot to, to do with that. But I also wanna say mostly thank you for joining us while you're at the gym because you've kept me turned on for the last two hours. <laughs> I recognize you're exercising, but it looks like you've been long stroking somebody for the last two hours. Whoa. It's been I'm kind of pornographic. Right <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm, I would say thanks too, Lonnie. I appreciate you being here, Lonnie, because I mean, even, you know, you got other stuff going. You're not letting this be an excuse from stopping you from what you need to do. Take good care of yourself, and I enjoy having fun with you. And um, and I and I get your point too, because it's just like, you know, you, when you come from a when you come from a point of, um, society where you're taught to gay bash or not be accepting of gays, it it takes it takes a, a real strong person to move beyond that and evolve to a person where you can come to appreciate film people or drag queens or anybody that decides to express themselves the way they naturally want to. And even though it may not be your cup of tea or you may not like it, you can stand behind them and say, you know what, this is America. Be free to be whoever you want to be. So exactly. I appreciate and respect that about because you. Because just because today they not just because today they may not be coming for you today, but they will be coming for you soon. Yes so they will. you need to get the fuck up and stop this whole fucking um discriminating or right. hating within our right. community. That's some bullshit. Well, and yeah. I was going to say that that goes on not only, like you said, like everybody talks about, you know, well, everybody that was pro-civil rights and pro-black back in the day was all, like I said earlier, this unified front. Like, you know, Derek has said, like, you know, we hear about Rosa Parks. We hear about, you know, um, Martin Luther King, but we don't hear anything about Bannon Rustin. Who was actually yeah. one of the main organizers of the Washington Thank March? Thank you, Jeffrey, because I could not remember his name. To yeah, my and they life, been, and I, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, of. they have been fighting to get this man, like a picture of him, put on more houses 
campus and they have been fighting it tooth and nail. Um, and and it did not that he went to the university, but he was a part of the history of that. People knew who Bannard was. Bannard, I mean, that people that knew Bannard, Bannard was, as they said, a fierce queen. He also dated interracially, which was very taboo back then. But at the end of the day, he was one of the forefront people that was in that. But also, um, I saw a very good movie that if you've never had a chance to watch it at Showtime, I think, did it. It was called The Deacons of the Fence. And it's about these, these deacons in, in Louisiana that took up arms against the Ku Klux Klan. And because they took up arms and the whole civil rights movement had been about this nonviolent thing, the Martin Luther King group primarily nobody ever said king did said that they would not come and support these people and they started a movement that moved across louisiana mississippi like they made the louisiana governor have to change the laws the labor laws and all this other stuff but this is stuff that we don't hear about people were mad because of how they chose to go and get the freedom that they deserve or they felt like they needed but at the end of the day it's never been that even if we were pro-black we were all on the same page we still are not now I mean, so these are not things that have ever existed in these things of unity. And the thing is, even in our community, like you said, just because the person is pro-gay, one, we need to realize that everybody don't even identify with the word gay, first of all. We can't decide if we want to be gay or same Same gender loving loving. or these other (laughs) words that go along with that. There's so many different words. You know, there's clinical terminology that goes along with it. And at the end of the day, my whole thing has always been, um, I always tell people, I feel like the most, for me, being a very spiritual person. Not a religious person. Very spiritual. I feel like the most divine thing is personal choice. I might not understand yours, but because I want you to respect mine, I'm going to respect yours. And that's what it really just boils down to, a basic sense of human respect and dignity. And that's something that as a people, as a whole, black, white, gay, straight, we have not figured out yet. Man, woman, I mean, because misogynism is still an issue. You still have men that feel like women need to stay in their place. I mean, we can go on and on and on and on, but it's one of those larger issues that at the end of the day, until we get down to the roots of some of this stuff, at the end of the day, like they said, we never will agree as a people on one thing. I mean, you know, it's just like politics and religion. I mean, we've thrown a lot around a lot of different things. Everybody has their own views. We see things from our own lenses. But my whole thing is the reason why I have such a diverse group of friends is because I respect them for who they are, not for what they are in the sense of if they decide that they want to run outside in a pair of high heels and a dress, you work it and you do that. I'm not going to do it, but that's for you. And if that's for you, then that's fine. But everything ain't for everybody. And that's where we get mixed up because, like you you said, Stonewall and what started the gay rights movement, it was – those drag queens that had said enough was enough because they got tired of people talking about them even within their own communities Mm -hmm. so at the end of the day yeah i mean we have to pay you know you get to get props to those that are willing to stand up and be who they are and not care what anybody thinks like i said i've seen a lot of guys especially in atlanta you know you got the guys that run around with the high heels and their purses on they ain't got on nothing else as a woman but you know everybody's like oh i don't understand that why do they do that that's this and that's that everybody has a judgment but at the end of the day i always tell people you know keep your fucking judgments to yourself because you don't want nobody judging you right. but we don't do that and we don't think about it like that we want to well no and that i mean and also because if i can look at you and say that there's something different about you then I can find a way to separate myself from you rather than look at my similarities to you and say, okay, we have more in common than we have different. And that's a problem for all of us as a group of people in general that we need to learn how to do. We need to stop looking at differences and start looking at similarities. Tell me, he didn't sit and gave a sermon, y'all. 
<laughs> Y'all not going to get me. Pass the collection plate. Pass the collection plate. <laughs> I mean, because he just sat there and read everything that I pretty much tried to get across on, on the comment because I was like, Y'all looked at the one picture. Y'all didn't even read the article. Y'all went and looked at this one picture, which I kind of had a little bit of beef with the the, the um, writer of the article because I was like, you got a good point across, but you didn't pepper like different. You just went and got the gayest thing, the gayest picture you can find. But at the same time, they probably did that to prove a point. You see what right. I'm saying? At first, I'm like, what do I can see what the author's probably, why they probably listen, but they, they proved a point. It was that you they proved a point that not only is a problem within the straight community, but within our own gay black gay community as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just you have to look at it that way and just read the article and go about what it was trying to say, which is like Beta Rusted. They just listed names of people who you didn't even know existed. Then it's like the history repeating itself with the Black Lives Matter movement because you know there's so many people saying, well, this is the isolated incident. Of a black man on Twitter saying something about how he couldn't support the Ray um, McKenzie. So I'm like, that's not an isolated incident. Isolated incidents, when they continue to happen, they become a problem. Mm-hmm. So you can't just yeah. sit there and be like, oh, it's an isolated incident. We only got to worry about it. No. It is not an isolated incident. You have to look at it and take it as a, as a serious call because, again, these names are getting erased out all over again. Mm hmm. Like, you know, the D-Rays, and I can't, to be honest with you, and this is probably part of the problem, I can't name the four black women who came up with the Black Lives Movement, you know what I'm saying? Because they don't talk about them. It's like an afterthought, like, oh, really? It's like, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought you was walking aware. You know what I'm saying? I thought you paid, you went and did your Google search, and that's another damn pet peeve of mine. Do not tell me when you try to call for receipts, oh, just go, go do a Google search. I hate that. You need to give me an exact website. Give me something concrete because I, I can send somebody out to Google right now and say, oh, you try to look for a job for Walmart, go to walmart.com. And they'll go to Google and type in walmart.com or click the first damn link that comes up. And it'll be the wrong information. I've had it happen tons of times. I'm a librarian. I see it all, all the time. So anyway, but that's another thing. However, <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is, is that you can't be anti-gay and call yourself pro-black. Because it kind of ties back into my article from the last week. It, you shouldn't, but you can. So many <laughs> are. That's my thing. You can. You should not. It doesn't do well for any movement whatsoever. But yeah, and it's allowed. And that's the worst part. It's allowed. Again, the fact that you have to look up and remember people's names that have been taken out of these stories. Yes, you can absolutely be pro-black and anti-LGBT. But that's just like also you can be, I mean, you have some people that are pro-gay but not necessarily pro-black. And that's a conversation that we don't have often either. I mean, because a lot of people, like I told them, the great equalizer for a lot of our white counterparts that happened was once gay marriage became equal, they began to be looked at in a completely different way than some of us. So the disconnect in the communities grew larger. Like I told mm-hmm. people here in Atlanta, there's still a great division between the white gay community and the black gay community. It's not something that at the end of the day is always spoken about, but we've seen it come up and it's come up in several times in several different ways, both very passively and very aggressively. But like we said, now that, you know, this whole thing, like we said earlier, when we all equal now because we can all get married, it then yet again sets up for some of us another barrier over equality as a whole as a gay group or people that love say you go of the same gender or however you want to put it. 
Yeah. Uh, we got Q&A. Brian Lawson says it also goes to the whole respectability politics argument that only certain type of people can push for justice. And that's why I remember reading about Beta Rustin was that he was you no. Know, I remember him talking to Dr. Reading about him talking to Dr. King and the leaders in the movement, the civil rights movement, about I think gay rights and stuff like that. And they were like, you know, we don't need like we got we can't worry about that right now. We got to worry about the black, you know, the black, you yeah. know, the black people and stuff like that. And it kept, but he but he still went with it. You know, he still went with it. Um, Brian Lawson says Milo. Minneapolis is the biggest example of being pro-gay but anti-black. He played. He called Leslie Jones and ate and got mad because Twitter booted him out. Yep. I'm yep, oh, yeah. yeah. He was a big yeah. person and he was just like. Yeah, you know, he's also a super large conservative. Pro-gay and a bigot. So. Well, I mean, and some people do come around because you know it's just like um you know Louis Farrakhan for the longest who would mean the Nation of Islam. We know how they feel about gays. You know. But um, when he talked about the importance of like the Million Man March, and especially after Spike Lee did his bu- his uh, Get on the Bus movie, he talked about the necessity to have black people as black gay men and women as a part of the collective conversation around what was going on in the black community. So somebody that coming from somebody like Farrakhan was major. And Farrakhan, you know, he hated everybody for a long time. He was just mad and angry, but it took him to <laughs> he was come just around. Mad and angry. He just bad and mad and angry at, at everything. But you know, collectively, he began to look at some of his own stuff, and he said he had to check himself. And you do have some people that it's happening in very small pockets, but they are saying, you know, okay, why is it that I feel this way about this group that I am, and sometimes I don't know nothing about. I'm believing stereotypes of what I've heard, all these other things. And that's when collectively we started to think at a higher level and a higher consciousness. But it happens for different people at different points. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I always think about with stuff like this is too is that I don't think that there's such a egregious number of people who believe some of these these widely held negative beliefs. I don't really believe that's what they truly believe. I think it's that they go with it because it appears to be the social norm. Mm-hmm. Um I know like some of my friends, uh, most of them are straight. And so it's interesting. It was really interesting to me that a few years ago before I moved to Atlanta, um, it, you know, they've all known about me, known I'm a gay man this and, uh, and the other. But then they found out that some one of the other guys who they assumed was straight because he had a family, he had kids, a wife. He had always been very negative towards anybody or anything that was gay. Um, including me. And so when they found out he was doing gay porn, they just completely turned on this cat. <laughs> and I was like, okay, explain to me what's the issue with him, Jason. And he was like, well, we work out together and he's in the same gym. And so when the guys in the gym saw and found out something about him being gay, you know, then it was like, well, he did our injections. They took steroids. And so they ended up putting him out the gym. I said, but Jason, you've known I was gay since you met me. We've been places, we've hung out, and it's never been a problem. And his only rationale was that I was open about it when we met him, honest about it. And I was like, okay, that's a thing. He wasn't open and honest about it, but then given you all's reaction, should he have been open and honest about it? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. If I think you're going to turn on me, if I tell you I'm gay, and then you find out I'm gay, and you turn on me, 
I don't get it, but whatever. Um, I, and I never yeah. really got the rationale behind it, but I always kind of thought it ultimately was it's all in the narrative. It's Xavier. It's all in the narrative. And and let me let me say, I don't particularly care for Brokeback Mountain. I, I saw I saw Brokeback Mountain. I think it's a very well put together movie. I think it's a wonderful piece of propaganda. And I don't really fuck with it no more. I saw it that one time at the movie, and I see it. And the first thing I thought was, these two motherfuckers are on the down low. They yeah. both have families, yeah. and they leave once a year to get together to fuck. They have a relationship, but yeah. they are on the down low. And while you're selling this as a love story, these two motherfuckers are on the down low. And that movie came out at a time where. The, the DL was getting a lot of media attention. And, you know, people were getting raked across the coals. And I, I was always confused how nobody ever put those two things together because I left the movie yeah. theater like, these motherfuckers are on the down low. Why are y'all crying? Well, well, some of us did put it together, Derek, because you're exactly right. Because a lot of us, I mean, because like I know a couple of people, including David Melbranch wrote an open letter to Oprah Winfrey um, talking about how she was portraying, like, if a gay black man was discussed on her show, it always had to be something about he was on the down low. Yes. It, it, it was stigmatized and made him look, because, like, when she had J.O. King on. J.O. King. And And J.L. King got raked over the, over the coals here in Atlanta because of that. Because a lot of people were like, like, when they caught him in public, they, they let him have it. Because I said yeah. it had so much not to do with necessarily with him being, you know, quote unquote, not knowing whatever, whatever. I said he was a fucking sociopath because how are you going to cheat on your wife and then make her feel like it's her fault? I didn't get that. But, you know, they were sitting <laughs> up there having this conversation and he was like, I'm educating y'all. And even some of Elan's stuff, the way that they tried to twist and turn it and use it like, you know, Elan's books became how to clock your gay black man. Once his books started taking off and women started reading them, they became a whole different thing. They became a guy. I mean, but when Oprah and other media outlets would talk about white men, like even what was it, the governor of New Jersey that came out as gay? You know, mm -hmm. he went on Oprah and it was, you know, well, he was married and then he found out he was gay and like we need to feel all this compassion and love. And I'm like, well, what was the compassion and love that y'all were well, not feeling right. for these other men that were probably going through this same kind of hurt and whatever the stuff that he was talking about. But y'all wanted to make it seem like it was some seedy kind of thing that was only of our culture. Right. So it's all about spin and how yeah. we spin. That's true. Yeah, they made black men predators. Right. And yeah. white men victims. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Vance Ass pulled the same stunt with the two preachers on her show. Yes. Um, she had these two preachers. One was married to a white. I never saw the end of that. I always want to see how that turned out. I, I mean, I don't really think it really did. It really have an ending. I mean, he came out and everything, but he had obviously yeah, one came out and the other one. They both came out. Well, I mean, it was on TV. They had to come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just saying they they both ended up. One one is still he like you know on Facebook, you know, being being the happy gay preacher now, and the other one guy is, you know, he's he's out and 
and doing his thing. He, you know, got a divorce, and that was pretty much the resolution. Right, but I don't like how Yana pulled this stunt with like him and his wife, and was telling the wife, you know, oh, you was a victim, and if I was you, I would be making the wife and going, you know, it's fine, it's okay, I don't really care, it's over now. But when you look at the full story, the full story was she had two or three kids by two or three other men before she came into this marriage. Mm-hmm. He elevated her from being an unwed mother to, and I had another word in my head, but I chose the other one. She was a church mother. And I mean, he put her at the top of the epitome of black culture and black society by making her the mother of the church. Yes. And elevated her status as a result so they both got something out of it but that's not how it was fun and that's how these download brothers are being you know portrayed and i i talk to my female friends all the time and i'm like okay so what if you find out that the dude you talking to is either bisexual or gay and they're like oh i'll kill him it'll be this and that and it'll be this and it's always something negative and i'm like you see how that's a possibility you, you do realize that is a very strong possibility that you may get what to do and you may not know you may not pick up on it, and I damn sure may not pick up on it. And he ends up being down low. How is him cheating on you with a man any different from him cheating on you with a woman? And I don't really get the reason why they feel like there's a major difference. Uh, but then, like, some of the guys I have talked to, I know of that are down low like that, their reasoning is because of the ostracization that would happen to them if they came out and just said, look, I'm a gay man. At the end of the day, um, I have some attraction to women, but I prefer to sleep with and be with men. Yep. Um, between their family, their jobs, and everything in between, we basically disown them. They choose to marry a woman, be in a relationship with a woman, and have kids, and keep a man Out on the side. And find kids. a little bit of happiness over here on the side. Well, Xavier, to answer your point, I actually have talked to a couple of women working in HIV and AIDS and dealing with a population that is really out there and I had a chance to talk to a couple of my colleagues one day. We had a very openly, candidly conversation about that whole thing, about what was the difference uh, to them as women if they found out that their spouse was as a male was sleeping with another man versus a woman. And they, the thing that they all kind of resounded to me, at least in this group, was that they felt like if it was another woman, they could compete. Exactly. Said, I can't compete I with a say, man. That's what I was going to say. And, that's, that's, and that's, still, that's, a, that's, a, that's still a nonsensical argument. I, it, 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 is, it is a nonsensical argument, but it is an argument that you hear over and over. It is not when, when a woman finds out that her man is cheating on her with another woman, the first thing is the comparison. What she got that I don't got. Because mm-hmm. I can, you know, and now I have to bring my A game no. in order to what get he, my man back. Woman? Okay, so what if it's a white woman? How you gonna compete with that? Because she white. Well, they still felt like they could compete. And the thing, though, like you said, you're right. It doesn't make a difference because the thing I told them was, why should you feel like you should have to compete, period? Because right. I'm not. I don't care, man, woman, you know, whatever. If I find out somebody that I'm with is cheating with anybody, it doesn't matter to me the gender. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, I'm not going to compete and I'm going to let that be known. So, you at know, the end of the day, you still lied to me. And... Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing that a lot of them, and it boiled down to, and these were educated women that were thinking and feeling, like you said, at something at this level, and it does go to that, then why is it something that I have to feel like I have to compete? And I'm not looking at just the infidelity of the action just going on, but I'm looking at 
what it who it was with and not necessarily what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm gonna. I, I was just gonna add real quick. No, okay, go I will say that the that I could I could understand them feeling like the pool of handsome straight black men that are successful is low, and so they do have to compete for those because I hear a lot of people feel like, you know, there's so many black men that are in jail. There's so many black men that are gay. There's so many black men that um, want to have a bunch of women. They have that choice. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm like their anger isn't directed at that person, but or I should say, I guess the anger of the situation they find themselves in has now formed a target. Yeah. I mean, so there's so many women that are successful, like women that are, that, that yeah. have degrees and are making a lot of money. To find somebody yeah. that that compares, is, the pool probably just isn't as big. So they do probably feel like. Okay, they, so why do you have to compare? Do you want a good man, or do you want, uh, uh, uh you know, or or do you want a man that's necessarily doing a job making what you're making? Let's say you meet a man who is working in, you know, you are a lawyer or whatever. You're making, you know, several hundred thousand dollars a year. And you meet a guy who was a public servant or who was working for a nonprofit who was out doing his work. But, you know, he lived in a one-bedroom apartment because that's what, that's all that he has afforded to mm -hmm. be able to do. But he's out here doing great fucking work. Did you, you turn him away? Well, I think it always goes back to the... Um, can you hear me? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, it goes back to the thing like when um, Xavier did the profiles when we were talking about the different types of men and dating. The same thing is very true of women. Those profiles are not universally exclusive to gay men or men in general. You know, like, you know, when we were talking about those that have been hurt, you know, so everybody, you know... You know, you have women that go through that, too. You know, every man now is responsible for every hurt she's been through. And you have those women that, yes, they are uber successful and they've always focused on their career. So then when they get to that certain pinnacle and they can't find a mate that has or another person in a in, in sense of the opposite gender that has done that same thing, then, yeah, they look at those as like, well, like you said, my dating pool is differently in the sense of it's small or I don't have access. And. You know, it's, it's kind of like you have to go through and go through some self, you know, some soul searching. You know, like you just yeah. said, what's really most important? Is it that, you know, you match me dollar for dollar? Is it that, you know, you treat me with a certain level of love and respect? And I can deal with the fact that there might be a, a, a disparity in how much we make. You know, is it that, you know, I might have this going on that's making me treat you this way, not because of this or that. I mean, there's so many different things and complexities, I think, that just going and dating. And then, yeah, when you add something in there like for a woman that's never or that does not want to have to deal with, one, the fact that she has to then compete for the affections of this man that she has love for with another woman. And then you throw a man into that. It just completely just throws everything else into a, just a bigger mess than it already is. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'm going to change topics for a minute. If anyone has any final thoughts, we'll we'll move on. Like completely, I'm going to move into like technology kind of topics. This is but, uh, okay. Ooh, technology. <laughs> well, I recently had, um, and it, it might tie into some relationship topics, but I recently had the unfortunate um, thing of my phone dying 
on me. Yep, I've been having trouble with my phone for about um, a year now. It, it, I would have the wrong cord, or I thought it was something wrong with the cord. I would buy all these different power cables, and eventually have to move the cord a certain way, and it would eventually charge. And then finally, one day, it just wouldn't charge. So I was going through the um, process of getting my phone replaced. You know, eventually they just send you a replacement phone, and you know, you do a backup on your old phone, and then restore it to your new phone. Um, but I started having a conversation about it because I realized I've had an iPhone now for um, since the second generation of iPhones, mm. and um, one of the things iPhone has My been good with. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, we're getting to that. <laughs> one, of, one of the things that um, a benefit of having an iPhone is that it's a continuation. Like each version of iPhone was compatible with the version right before it, so. I still have data from my backups that go back to the original phone that I bought nine years ago. I have text messages from people from nine years ago and sort of thought of the implications of the idea that, you know, somewhere, I guess, 50 years from now in the cloud will exist all the messages and information and, and the history of your relationships with other people. Uh, because I was actually talking to somebody who had a friend who was recently killed and their phone died, and they lost all the text messages that they had from that person that, you know, they went back to and looked at, you know, to think about their relationships. Um, and it is a horrible thing to think about losing all those things. But I was, at, I was telling them, well, maybe the opposite is also kind of bad, that you can never forget, <laughs> or that there will always be this record somewhere right. on a server of every interaction you've had. Um, and then there was a study that came out, because I love my studies, <laughs> uh, talking about sexting, one one part of the study said that um, you know sexting actually happens a lot more in committed relationships than in dating situations because uh, especially when you're talking about heterosexual models, women are much more likely to send a titty pic to a boyfriend versus someone they're just dating. <laughs> but I guess dudes will send a dick to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the other thing is that. Um, but uh, <laughs> I guess 23, 23% of people who have received the text admitted to showing that text to someone who probably should, you know, the, the sender didn't anticipate. So right. just saying about, about one in four, um, one in four people who receive texts will indiscriminately share them. <laughs> so, uh, so then I asked the question, like, why would you even expect any sort of privacy of that? With those levels, one in four people who receive tech, you know, sex are going to show them to someone. So you kind of sort of expect that not to be an, an, uh, anonymous? You know, yes, but you shouldn't. Y yes, you should expect it, but no, you shouldn't. I'm one yeah. of the, I guess, the one, I, I don't know where I, number-wise I fall into that. If you send me a picture um, as you know, technology has gone and people have been apt to do. Send me a picture of yourself, of your form, free of clothing. I <laughs> generally appreciate it, and I generally keep it to myself. Yeah. Because, um, I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm like that. Okay, when you sent this to me, you know, and this may be a picture you sent to 50 million people, but you sent, you decided that you trusted me enough to send me this. So I yeah. am going to honor that trust yeah. and keep it to myself. 
Yeah. But I yeah, recognize I was saying everybody's that. not like I recognize and I'm not judging. I recognize everybody's not like that. Again, we are men. Men are very visual creatures. And, you know, we like to show, oh my God, this dude got an ass for days. Let me show you. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, just, I, I got that sort of fear about it because I, I was saying, like, all the sexting that has happened for me in the past nine years is stored up in a server somewhere at Apple. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, so, you know, Apple, just, no, you're a freak. <laughs> <laughs> if someone were to hack my account and start going through my text messages, it wouldn't take long to find a penis. I'm just saying. <laughs> you would, oh, my God. Are... But is that any different from... There was a joke in... Um, what was the name of that show? Oh, shit. Um, Queer as Folk. Mm. Where... I know in the British version, because I didn't pay that much attention to the American version. In the British version, one of the characters dies, and his friends go to the house... And like clean out all his shit before his mother gets to the apartment, yeah. uh, and they literally leave with a box full of dildos. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> is I mean, is that not the same situation? Can any of us actually sit here right now and say if somebody got access to our computer or to our right. iPad or to our phone, they wouldn't find out exactly what kind of freak we are? <laughs> well, I don't think it's even that they have to get physical access. I mean, I think that, you yeah. know, I I tell people, you know, all the time, I'm I'm very leery of images that I do send out because I well, if I know anything that gets sent out or anything that's on my Facebook page mm-hmm. or any of that stuff, it, at that point, once you let it go, it's open. I mean, yeah. you, no, you no longer have control over that. I mean, and people will share it. I mean, and we know that, you know, when you send it to them and everything is all nice and cool and, you know, they say, you know, everything is good, then it's fine. But when they get mad, people get vindictive and they get vindictive now in very interesting ways. Lord, ain't you know, that the truth. You know, you you you'll be sitting up in church, and the pastor will be preaching, and next thing you know, um, his PowerPoint up a pop up naked picture of you, depending on who it is and how good they are. So, yeah. I mean, or anyway, I mean, I've seen people like you know, like people now. I mean, not just with just basic pictures. I mean, you know, people will record videos and crap, and they'll post them all over, and you know, and. You know, and I know this 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 girl whose boyfriend, you know, she was like, well, you know, we was, you know, livening and making things interesting. And I let him videotape me and, you know, or, or use his phone. And then he got mad at her and sent it to everybody on her Facebook page, um, including her mother. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. so it's like I'm not trusting anybody with that kind of information. I don't care who you are. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was part of it, like that. I I would like to just on a personal note, mm-hmm. I would like to break into Xavier's network and see what kind of freak he is. Oh, I don't ever really, cause I don't ever really get to see that in our interactions. Oh well, I, I, I know he's I'll, a freak. I, I got you. I'm gonna hook you up. I'm just oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> you ain't gotta break into nothing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let okay. you know. Oh my god. <laughs> My two best friends, she told me at my funeral, she's going to do two things for me. One, speak at my funeral, and two, get my phone, my laptop, and my iPad and throw them in a live pit. 
Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I like her. That's, that's the thing, though. Like, it's still in the cloud. Like, she probably had an iCloud backup. <laughs> anyone who knows her password, all they have to do is get a new iPad, the password, yeah. and whatever. Or find a store. Or find a yeah, that too, but even you don't even have to have X. You just need the name and password and a device and everything you've ever had on that device. Yeah, it actually came up. That's funny you ever mentioned it. That actually came up like two weeks ago, and I thought I had a I had a dream that I had died, and I was at my funeral as a like I guess as a spectral ghost or something like that. Yeah. And they said, well, we don't have any pictures of Mark because I don't take. All my pictures are mostly selfies, and I rarely take pictures of people and stuff like that. And they don't have copies of my pictures. And my folks are not Facebook litter enough to sit there and just download the goddamn pictures from Facebook and just keep on moving. So they said, we have somebody here who can hack access this computer. And oh. I was in the going like, no, no, no. no, no, no. And then, dude, like, I, I can't get into the computer. I'm like, thank God you can't get into the computer because, oh, no. So, like, Xavier said, like, you know, I'm like Xavier, like, his friend, like, his friend, like, yo, I want everybody, while we are live right now, all five of y'all, make sure y'all sit some bad asses up here to Tennessee and like, you know, we need to come, like, be like the men in black. Just come up here. We need to confiscate Mark's phone. <laughs> and, like, and just bring a, giant electro, bring a giant electromagnet. Right. Exactly. And be like, y'all don't, y'all, we weren't here. We were here. We'll be, we'll be here. Saying, we make sure you get it off the server first, though. That's what I'm saying is that a lot of your shit is stored in the cloud somewhere. Yes. Yeah. So, because, uh, you know, it was, like this. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I think I would have to have some sort of legal, you know, thing to Apple to say I'm deceased. Remove this. Cause there's a, I think that's a thing, especially for myself well, thinking about. Well, you know, I was ta- I was watching something, and they were talking about people now adding things like that to their will and testaments. You know, yeah. because things do pass on. Any music, for example, that you buy on Apple Music, you own that music. Mm-hmm. You know, who do you pass that on to? Right, right. That's a good In order for like them to access it, they have to stuff. have your password. They have to have your password. <laughs> so they get access yeah. to everything. Well, also, I thought, also, um, going into politics, um, I had to get Xavier's opinion on this um, Goldwater rule. We have to talk about that at some point. But, <laughs> yeah, we're also I also was thinking about you know President Obama leaving White House and the history of who he is as a president and his correspondence and things is different because of the era in which he you know was president. It's the first time that all of this sort of cloud shit is you know much more. He's he's the first social media president. Let's just say it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does you know offer this different point in history of what we expect to know about someone uh, because of the uh, the digital you know trail that we leave behind now um, I think is going to change our expectations of who we are as people I, I, all of us are hiding all these things why are we hiding them when we know everyone's got one when we know everyone's got a stash of embarrassing pictures why is it still embarrassing you know um, maybe one day it won't be that's all I was suggesting Nate James says the sharing of pigs can go way left. Back in the day, I had an entire BGC account open with my pigs. That was made. Part of this uh, study was a, um, I guess it was part of a study published in the Archives of Sexual Behavior. Mm-hmm. Found that about 15% of 
20 to 24-year-olds have not had sex or virgins. Um, I guess it's up by 6% of the previous generation. And they attribute a lot of this to the availability of pornography. Um, just saying, like, if you're having difficulty finding a sexual partner, you're much more likely to delay it because, you know, you're getting orgasms on the regular. <laughs> so maybe you're not likely to jump into... Yeah, yeah masturbation, is, masturbation is great. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> when it's being done properly, it is not a good stand-in for sex with another actual human being. Well, that's the thing. We're talking about people who have never had sex with another human being. So you're talking about people who are delaying the first sexual encounter because... But here's right the now, other... This is the other yeah. thing I wanted to mention. I'm going to let you finish the yeah. list. But this is the other thing that I wanted to mention. They talk about the availability of pornography. But mm. this country has always been extremely funny about sex. You know, it's this taboo thing that we don't really ever want to talk about, except you can turn on the TV and see it all the time. Yeah. I mean, and this was before shows like Scandal and shit, where people was getting pushed in the broom closets and, you know, getting fucked up the ass. Um, this is, you know, we've always used sex to sell things in commercials. Like, yeah. from the 70s. Who wears short shorts? I don't know. But them girls' shorts is too damn short. <laughs> oh, no, the, to, the, the original Fanta girls wore them tight-ass, skimpy bikinis on television showing mm -hmm. way more skin than you were allowed to show on most television shows. But they get in the commercial and could get away with it. It was our whole wink and nod. You know, we really are this, again, Christian society, and we really downplay a whole lot of sex and sexual liberation, you know, but we got to sell you this murder oil, so we're going to stick a naked girl on top of the car with, you know, WD-40 written on a bikini. <laughs> well, I was going to say, when you talked about the skimpy things, I was looking at some clips that people arranged from the women's volleyball at the Olympics. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm, I'm not even, like, that attracted to women, but I'm looking at this, I'm like, God damn, that's a lot of ass. <laughs> I guess ass is just ass, so I'm just like, popping, oh my God. <laughs> anyway, uh, digression, but what do you think of the idea of, like, availability to good porn? Because that's the thing, like, sex sells, but, like, sometimes it's a very particular type of sexual thing you want, and that, that's where it's different. Is that, yeah, you can have general sex, sexy images, but now you can narrow it down to that specific little thing that you want, you can find it. You know, it's out there. It's much what, better now that I'm sorry, go ahead. Well no, I was just gonna say I think though it goes back to this uh the part about, you know, as we talked about earlier, mental health and just regular health. We also have to deal with our se our sexual health and the aspect of that is that is an ongoing developing thing that happens to us throughout life. So, you know, there is that natural there's that experiment, you know, where that that phase where we experiment. And, you know, and we are kind of discovering our bodies and we begin to notice things and we go through these things. And, yeah, it has changed because, yeah, when I was a teenager, no, I couldn't get on a computer and see certain images that these kids can now. But it is a thing about at the end of the day, we as a society, as you said, Derek, so often we are the prudish, most sexualized society in the world. I mean, it makes no sense to me because, like you said, if I got to I mean, 
they're using, you know, sex to sell everything from, like you said, motor oil to, you know, in some cases, hell, some religions. I mean, so it, 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 it's just across the board. But at the end of the day, you know, it goes to that, um, you know, masturbation, self-exploration, however we put it into whatever box we put it into, whether it's through just normal experiment, experimenting or looking at images and porn or however, whatever, you know, it does open people up to begin to explore. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. And let me just say, because I agree with everything Jeffrey said, but let me just say, uh, our porn is still somewhat limited. I still can't find mm-hmm. a whole lot of black bear porn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. You know, and again, I understand why that is. You got to find people to make it. Right. Yeah. Who's not body conscious to can sit and just do it and not worry about who's going to see them doing all this and all this? Well, it's, not even, it's not even, you know, Mark, I'm going to say this. I, having seen the number of of naked black bears on Tumblr, <laughs> I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is that nobody has made a company that will do that. You know, if you right. go back and you look at 70s gay black porn, that shit is horrible. Oh, God. But, but we weren't making it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't made, we weren't making it, and it wasn't made for us. It was right. made for some white man to sit there and say, ooh, look at them two big bucks go at it. And it wasn't until we started making our own porn that we started telling our own stories. Unfortunately, all of our porn stories have now gone into sup, sup, fuck. But sub sub fuck, I love it. Right. <laughs> that sounds like the name. That sounds like the name of the new company. Right. Sub sub fuck. Copyright. Don't nobody steal my shit. So if, you know, so if you know what I'm talking about, he got all that movies. Sub sub. Oh my god. But no, I think that it is again one of those things oh well nobody has been brave enough to make it and put it out there because the few videos that I do see get consumed it's like oh my god people that look like me people that I want to see having sex I'll tell you if I see another 16 year old looking motherfucker that look like he need a hamburger having sex I don't know what I'm going to do Um, And again, I recognize I'm not saying that shouldn't happen. Everybody has likes, but everybody don't like that. Right. Yeah. Well, I do want to move off into a whole porn thing. Yeah. That's a whole whole show in itself. Well, I mean, it was pretty much on the topic because the topic was masturbation and and some of the effects of masturbation lower because it is a fact that young people between the ages of 18 and 24 right now are having a lot less sex, which is an interesting statistic, I would just say. like, um, That's weird, right? And that is. I was just thinking, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I guess now, you know, watching um, The Get Down, like, there's a lot of getting down in The Get Down. <laughs> oh, yeah. So maybe it's not that weird? Like, you know, I guess I sexual liberation too. actually did cause... You know, people that have more sex than they are now. I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, I feel, I think now that um, technology has probably made a difference. People can have like 
video sex and video chat more often it's more often than it came before. I think that's probably a a, a form of an alter, a, an alternative that people are using more. They can do that and and get get their rocks off and not have to actually go out and do it in real person. A lot yeah. easier now than they used to could. Yeah, yeah. They were well that's what they were saying. Like there is better there's better porn, there's better hookups. I guess people are not um they're Skype. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Snapchat and all that. It's just yeah, kids. Again, I like the yeah. real thing. I mean, I do. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we all do, but I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, but you do have a whole generation. I mean, a whole group of people. I mean, because like when you take a lot of the human sexuality classes now, they talk about some people that are asexual. That essentially, mm-hmm. basically, you know, they like things like masturbation and kind of getting off on them by themselves and with just themselves. It is a group of people that you know kind of go towards that. And these are people that are not just young people, but also people well into their adulthoods. And it's not about for them, you know, about needing to always necessarily connect with somebody else in order to enjoy what they feel like is a sexual experience. So, you know, it's not a large demographic. Like everything is no longer just quote unquote heterosexual or homosexual. There's a whole dynamic of groups that are showing up in different ways and I mean sexuality is just evolving and it's ever going to evolve and yes technology makes that happen even more. I also thought about the segment um, called Thank You White People <laughs> What? Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay here's my Thank You White People moment okay well there was a story of this past week of uh, George Zimmerman getting punched in the face Oh, oh, oh yeah. he went to a restaurant somewhere in Sanford um, you know, he still lives there. And, you know, somebody recognized him in the restaurant. And he's like, you know, I recognize you from somewhere. I mean, it's like, oh, I'm that kid. I'm that guy who shot uh, Trayvon Martin. And I guess something about the tone and the interaction said, are you kind of bragging about it? Right. And apparently he felt he was bragging about it. And at the end of that interaction, dude punched him in the face, you know, like in the middle of a restaurant. I assume that guy was black, you know. I just did. <laughs> and when I started reading about it, they interviewed the guy, and it was a white dude. And I was just like, thank you. Because who doesn't want to punch George, George Zimmer? That's my... <laughs> it needs to start. Right. <laughs> it needs to start. So thank you, white people, for punching George Zimmerman. I have to check it out. Okay. I have to check it out, and maybe I have to let it go. But here's my check it out. I talked about this Friday on an entertainment hangout, um, and it's just getting better and better. I want everybody to check out this team that is coming from CBS about Criminal Minds. For those who don't know, Thomas Gibson, Thomas Gibson, who plays Aaron Hotner on the show, has been fired because he kicked the motherfucker. He kicked the writer. And they was like, no, ma'am, you got to go. This is after he had pushed a producer previously a couple of years ago. Wow. Yeah. So they let him, they sent him to anger management the first time. And then they suspended him for two shows and then decided, no, but you fired, you got to go. And I said on Friday when we talked about this, I said, okay, they fired him, not because he kicked this guy, but because he has been an asshole on the set for God knows how long. 
because yeah. he's clearly some kind of tyrant. Because much like abusive spouses, they don't start out whooping your ass. They start out verbally. And then they get to, by the time they start putting hands on you, you already beat down. So, in today, Shamar Moore, who left the show last season, <laughs> decided to get on Twitter and give some of his two cents. He didn't use any names whatsoever, but he did talk about um, karma and, you know... And the and the birds are speaking. And, and the birds and the roosters coming home, the roost and all that. So y'all just, you know, keep an ear to the ground because this going to be some good juice. It's going to be good. Juice. It and is. I, 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 I criminal mind. Oh, my God. Oh, well, let me tell you what's happening with your shop. Star just got fired. And my uh, let it go. Is something I won't be able to let go now that it's out there. I will not be able to let it go to find out what type of porn is on Xavier's computer. (laughs) (laughs) That is kind of on my mind right now. And with everything going on in the world, these two things are really going to be right, right here. But it is true. It's always the straight-laced person who's got the kinkiest boy. Yes! <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's like, that's probably some good oh, shit. I am kinky. <laughs> that's what I thought he played here. He got that, he got that, he got that foot porn. That, that, that good foot porn where you wear a motherfucker like a shoe and walk around the house. I know he got it! <laughs> I know we got it. Oh my god. Oh my god. You think you know somebody. You think you know somebody. I just oh PCA okay. company. Okay, uh, kinda of goes along with kind of everything we talked about today. Uh, Please watch this show. So I sat down and I watched it. It's called Greenleaf. And I was like, okay. So kind of just watched a couple episodes of it. It's a few sessions in, but you can see it on uh, Own. Own. Yes, on Own. Own that little app that Own has also. Um, Oprah's actually in it, and she's like the aunt. Um, (laughs) And it takes place in the South. He's like, he's like it's in Tennessee, um, Memphis. Yeah, it's in Memphis. <laughs> it's in Memphis. Yeah. So it, it's it's been pretty decent. You yeah. Know, it's pretty decent. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, my mom's been asking to see it. Uh, I guess I should probably get it for her. But... Yeah, it's kind of homosexual in there and everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's definitely interesting. Oh, Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I mean, mine is um, clearly the get down. We've been talking about it over and over. I haven't finished it, but um, yeah, it, it's been a you know. Thank you, Netflix. Really, thank you, Netflix. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. like, um, it's a good show. Thank you for listening to the M3 Bear Essentials podcast. If you'd like to learn more about M3, please visit us at mailmediamind.com. From there. You can find links to our social media accounts, such as YouTube, where you can subscribe and get notifications when we record our podcast. Live. 
Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week.